Good morning, it's November uh, 10th. We'll continue our class called The Least of These. Grab a handout if you don't have one from the little foyer here in the room. And let me pray for us. Father, we're thankful to be together. We're thankful for a new day. We're thankful for your unfailing mercies and grace, which has drawn us into relationship with the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the oneness we have in him, for his prayer, that we would be one even as he and you, our Father, are one. Uh, Send your spirit to us to be our teacher, to encourage us, to bring light, to bring truth, to bring conviction, and to bring transformation, that increasingly we would look in our relationships like the Godhead itself. In Jesus' name, amen. The logic of the Course is built on uh, answering this question. You realize there are people in the world who act differently than you, look differently than you, perhaps think differently than you, and talk differently than you. What do you owe them? How are you supposed to view them? What do you have in common with them? And we've said that based on the Bible, this is what I'm trying to prove, is that the nature of relationships on earth is based on a principle called solidarity. What's true of one is true of the other. And so we're working from the nature of our relationship with Christ. That's the beauty of our union with Christ. The moment we trust Christ by faith, we're united to him such that what's true of Christ is true of us. And so we're, we're teasing out the implications of that, heading down the lane, getting into some of the dicier areas in human relationships, the difficult ones, What do I do with people that look differently, speak differently, act differently than me? What do I owe them? How do I view them? What do I, in fact, have in common with them? Okay, so so we're looking at the divine structure of relationships. We're picking up this morning at the, uh, on page six at the bottom, thank you, and we're, we're looking at a number of different types of solidarity that we have, oneness, and C is solidarity and judgment. First category, unbelievers are judged, at least in part, for our solidarity with Christ. Who would read 1 Peter 4.4? 4? With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them. Thanks, Pat. So what's Peter saying? There are people in your life that you're no longer associating with because you're converted and because you're not running with them into sin, they're maligning you. And what's going to happen to them as a result of that, according to the verse? God's going to judge them for doing that to you. It's a pretty serious thing comes out as well in 2 Thessalonians, top of page 7, chapter 1, verse 6. You may recall that the believers in Thessalonica were being persecuted for for claiming to belong to Jesus. And here's what Paul eventually writes about those who are persecuting them. Who would read 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 and following? Grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed. 
not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks, Pat. So here are people who are inflicting punishment on you simply because you belong to Jesus. God promises what? Justice. Now, until he does, how do we want to pray for our enemies? Convert them, Lord. Stop them. They're in a very perilous thing because if they're never converted, God will afflict them and deal like retribution to those who do not know and obey God. Extreme. That's the worst thing that could happen to be judged on that great day. But the point is, it is because of your solidarity with Jesus uh, that Jesus is going to inflict that punishment on them. We are, secondly, judged for our sins in solidarity with Christ. Now here's the gospel. Somebody read the first two references for us. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Thank you, Nate. So what stands behind this is, in a moral universe, all sin inexorably incurs wrath, judgment. God would not be God if he didn't judge sin. All sin must be judged. So the sinners are therefore under condemnation, judgment. On the cross, Jesus took your sin and he took the condemnation, he took the judgment, and on the strength of that gospel hope, Paul can say, there's no condemnation for those in Christ. Your solidarity with Jesus means that the death he died to sin was your death to sin, the condemnation he suffered for your sin was your condemnation, you are free, justified, accepted, loved, one in Christ, risen with Christ. That's the hope of the gospel. We've got nothing to prove to God anymore and nothing to lose. How about Colossians 2.13? Different, slightly different sort of commentary on this. You got it, Dory? Sure. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Thank you, Dory. So the law makes demands of you. The law demands what of you? Morally. Perfection. The law says if you're human, you owe God moral perfection. Those are the demands. And that, and to any degree you don't fulfill a demand, that creates a debt. What does Paul say happened to those decrees, those demands, that debt? What does this happen to it? It was nailed to the cross in Jesus. So now what does God have against you morally to keep you out of heaven? Not a thing. But I'm going to sin today. Are you going to sin today? Have you already sinned today? Yes. Are you going to sin the rest of the day? Are you going to sin to the day you die? Yes. Christians are now at peace with God. Romans 5.1 Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our best efforts. No. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it's just that union with Christ there. Okay? How about Colossians 3.3? 3, 3? For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Thank you, Joan Kathy. Best place in the world to be, hidden in Christ. That promise is 
If you know Jesus Christ by faith, God treats you as if you have done everything Jesus did. Jesus gave God all the righteousness you owe God. Jesus paid the penalty for your sins. God forever relates to you as his resurrected son. We're risen with him. It's really good news, isn't it? Now, does that make you want to go sin, thinking about that? It shouldn't properly understood. It should unleash, as opposed to Luther's accusers for preaching this doctrine of justification by faith alone, through grace alone, through Christ alone. His accusers said, you will unleash the floodgates of iniquity if you tell people that. In fact, he said, if you haven't preached, if you haven't been accused of being an antinomian, you haven't preached the gospel. No, this kind of grace moves the heart to want to love God for the right reason. 1 Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Thank you. Healed of what? Sin. Sin. Alienation from God. Spiritual death. Healed of of the horrible burden put on human beings to make themselves acceptable to God by what they do. I'm healed of that. It was done by Jesus. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, thy beauty are my glorious dress. And 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. You see, the purpose of the atonement that Jesus has made it safe for him to bring you into the presence of God. How do you do that? The righteous one took your unrighteousness. Where is it? It's, it's on the cross. It's the great exchange. He also suffered once for sins. Are you ever going to suffer penally for your sins? No. No, it's all done in union with Christ. And the last thing to say about judgment uh, and solidarity and judgment is we're judged for our deeds in part in solidarity with others. And we're back to the main verse through which we launched the course, the least of these. Somebody read Matthew 25, 40. Then the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Thank you, Shirley. We're going to tease that out in a lot more detail as we move through the handout. So next major category, solidarity and how you view others. So here's somebody different than me. They look different, perhaps a different culture. They talk different. They think different. In what, in what sense do I have solidarity with them? What do I owe them? How am I supposed to treat them? What do I have in common with them? So I've tried to tease out a number of things the Bible tells us clearly gives me solidarity with that person. I need to think of my, my brother or sister or others higher than me, higher than, than myself. That's Philippians 2, right? Yeah. We're going to get there. And I also have, uh, if, if I go back to Matthew 24, what you did to one of the least of this brother did to me, so. That's where we're going. That, that's it. That's right. When we're just teasing that out. We're teasing. What do you, what do you want, how, how, do you, how would you treat Jesus? That's right. That's right. That's what it's forcing us, that's how we're forced to reason in this. Good, Fabi. And I'm going to tease it out in a lot of different intricate layers, I hope. 
So solidarity in how you view others. You look at this person, what do you know based on the Bible? First, you share mutually mutual creatureliness. Somebody read uh, the first two from Proverbs. <coughs> Okay, so what's the point? Somebody put it in your own words. We easily... So I, I'm answering my own question. Go ahead, Pat. You want to... Go ahead. Well, we have people who are higher, lower than we, people who are different classes than we, yep. ethnicities, and those people are as rich in Christ as we are, and we are to see that richness of God in their lives. Good. Good. And even if they don't belong to Christ, what's true of people that are poorer than me or richer than me? What's they true of them? They have common grace. They have common grace because the oppressor, to be an oppressor is to be sinning like straight up. But the Lord gives life to, to both, both, both of their eyes. So yeah. the common grace is out there even for the evil people. Good. Exactly. So if, 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 no matter how different I am from where I am in the social classes, one thing's true, God created us both, and we, we not only have hearing and sight and all, we have tons of other things. Nate? We, we all continue to be utterly dependent on God for our ongoing existence. So for our utter existence, right? Yeah. yeah. So whether or not we believe in uh, God or not, God is the one who's enabling us to live and providing us with all we need. So that, I am, the, the unbeliever is dependent as I am on God for my very sustenance. We have that creaturely need, dependence, and common. Pat? Just as we get from the verse uh, out of uh, Proverbs 29, 13, that our physical sight is from God as well as our spiritual sight. Mm -hmm. from God that gives us uh, both. Yes. And the basis for being humble towards other people is if I have spiritual sight, why do I have that? Because God has mercy. God did that. The mercy of God, the sovereign grace of God. I'm no better because I'm a Christian. The most, the, the worst oxymoron in the universe is a proud Christian. Right? Now, am I using the word right? Is that an oxymoron? Okay. Yeah. yeah. How about the next two from Acts? The, the Acts 14 is Paul and Lystra. <laughs> Men, why are you doing these things? We are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news. And then, he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, and he makes from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the faces, all the face of the earth. Thank you, Tori. So Paul's preaching. Where is this common ground with his audience? We're just like you. We're human beings. And we're just like you. We, uh, we're ones to whom God has given life and breath and everything. We're, that we, you know, right? To be a creature levels the ground. So um, he, he's not going to say I'm from a superior... And was he born into a superior religion than these pagans? Without a doubt. Right? He says in Romans, to the Jews were given the covenants and the promises and the adoption. All these, he was born into a superior religion. And that's not what he uses to find uh, the, the reason for being different or better. How about mutual brokenness? Would that be a thing that would unite us with our fellow man, put us in solidarity with our fellow man? All right, somebody read uh, 
the, the two the Psalms and Proverbs for us. Top of page eight. Okay, so what's the universal need of every person irrespective of how they act, look, think, or talk? Every person needs salvation. salvation, forgiveness. God looks down and who can stand before God? We're all sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one can say I've made my heart pure and clean from my sin but Jesus who had no sin and took that sin for us to give us pure hearts. How many people have logs in their eyes? Matthew 7, 3. Got it, Jim? How do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? So the presupposition of my whole preaching series on humility, if you remember back, I think that was my first preach sermon series here. I can't remember that far back. Neither can you. Is <laughs> that we all have logs and we're blind to them. We all suffer from one-mindedness. We're all prone to see the faults of others much more clearly than our own. That's how we all are. Okay? If we don't, if we're not that way, it's an amazing work of grace. John 8, 7. If man think it to you to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Okay, who in that particular group found themselves without sin? Only Jesus. And he had every right to stone her because he was a righteous judge and he refused to. The gospel. 1 Timothy 1.15 The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason that in me foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Thanks, Pat. So why did Jesus come into the world? To save what? To help good people? To be a personal trainer to the, to the strong? <laughs> to save sinners, right? Jesus said, I think it's the end of John 9, if you think you see spiritually, you're blind. If you know you're blind, you're beginning to see spiritually. Right? Titus 3, 2. Again, he's going to put a frame. Paul is putting a frame around this person that acts, looks, talks, thinks, dresses differently than me. What's the, how does he want to frame the relationship? Somebody read that for us. To speak evil, no to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating Thank you. So here's how you frame that. You don't malign them. I think that's gentle, courtesy, no quarreling. And what's the foundation, the framework, let's put it this way. What's the lens through which Paul says, I'm looking at that person? I also once was myself a big, fat jerk. Right? So that would be me, but for the grace of God. 
I would be worse than that, but for the grace of God. But we don't believe that. I mean, the truth is, we really don't believe that. Yeah, you better remind yourself. Right? How, how, how often am I building a case for why I'm better than that person? Justifying myself. Uh, there is a self-justifying, it's with the logs, there's a self-justifying mechanism in our hearts that really needs to be crucified every morning, or it's going to be alive and well. It just doesn't go away. Okay? James 3, 2, we all stumble in many ways. Who stumbles in many ways? We all. And this is the brother of Jesus saying we all stumble in many ways. Okay, we share our mutual brokenness. We're in solidarity. How about our mutual treatment then? Somebody read those two verses together. <clears throat> Matthew? Mm-hmm. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And as you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. Thank you, Poppy. So here's this person that acts, looks, thinks, talks, dresses, whatever different than me. I'm supposed to look at them as... Me. I want to do for them like I would have them do for me. We're going to tease this out some more. Hang in there. Oh, Mike. Yes, Bobby. I think we got to be a little careful here in a sense that when we're talking about control, is it going to do you? To not get in a trap so repeatedly being mistreated and going back to the cycle. It could be friends or family or co-workers. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's just a fine line. Sometimes it's fine. It is. And I appreciate you raising the question. And let's just see if we can locate the issue in the verb love. Love always asks a question. And that is, what is best for that person. And sometimes it isn't putting yourself in a place for them to abuse you. It wouldn't be good for them. And it's not good for you. Sometimes what's best is rebuke. Does Paul find himself rebuking people publicly in the scriptures? Yes. Correction. Rebuke. So so love is always asking the question, given the situation, given the context, given this person's history with me, given their frailty, given their main image of God, what is best for them in this situation. That's why parents don't shy away from disciplining their kids. It's painful to the parent to do that. But it's what's best for the kid. This is the way Hebrews reasons. Every parent disciplines his kid just like God disciplines us. At the moment it seems painful, but in the end it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness. Okay. So I think, does that help? Love asks the question, what is the best thing for this person in this relationship? It might be not taking that phone call. Because it's the 16th time they called you, you've told them not to call back. So you don't pick it up. Because love demands that you don't do that. So it becomes a wisdom question what, what you owe that person in that situation. Okay? Good. Does that help with your question? Alright, good. Um, mutual belonging. Romans 12.5. Members one of another. I'm a, we're, we're united because we're in union with Christ. But you're not applying this to believers and non-believers. No, this is the church. This is the church. 
Yeah, but see, we even have, there are even believers that act, look, think, talk differently than us. And so if there's any institution on earth where these two can love each other in spite of this, it better be the church on the strength of that verse. And part of the history, the sordid history of Presbyterians, particularly in the South, is a refusal to do that. White Christians toward their black brothers and sisters. The sordid history, unfortunately, in our denomination in the South. I'm, I'm floating. I'm floating in between. So some of the verses we're looking at don't don't make that discrimination. This verse, as Nate or somebody was pointing out, does make that distinction. Look. So all the mutual things. That's because we're human. And we're going to get into verse. So you just have to look at the context. Yeah, and, and in one case, it's clear. Body, we are one body in Christ. That's right. So we can only be in Christ. If both of us are believers. That's right. So, so you're really not a member per se of an unbeliever in a way that you are a member of a believer because of the solidarity of Christ. But man, you owe them almost the same stuff as we're going to see. Just the least of these. Okay? Um, 1 Corinthians 3.21 So let no one boast in men for all things are yours Thanks, Dory. So the context, you know, there's some people in Corinth saying, I'm a Paul guy. I'm a Cephas guy. I'm an Apollos guy. And it was, a, it was like we had our little faction over here. This, this Sunday school class, hey, we're Paul people. Down the hill, they're Peter people. But we're really better because Paul, he was a better apostle, right? So we're, we're creating distinctions among us based on this stuff. And what's Paul say? Forget it. It's all yours. Everything's God's. Everything, he, Christ belongs to God. We belong to Christ. We all have all these things are ours. That's the way he seems to be reasoning. Uh, how about our mutual dependence? 1 Corinthians 12, 19. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Thank you. Are you familiar with the passage here on spiritual gifts? And so oh, there's not a superiority of spiritual gifts. One is not more necessary than the fact that my body needs an eye. It needs lungs. It needs ears. It needs a nose. It needs a mouth. It needs skin. It, right? So the body of Christ is made up of all these different parts. It's one body. One body with different parts, all dependent on each other. And therefore, to show mutual care. Top of page 9, 1 Corinthians 12, 25. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. So the, the result of being one body in Christ with many different parts that need to function together and work together is that we have the same care for each other. Right? Are you just, I mean, do you care as much for your sight as you do for your hearing? Yeah. Um, 
When I drive, I always put it on recycle because I don't like to smell stinky air from the outside. Is anybody like me? I'm the only guy like that. I hate smelling stinky air. I mean, if you like on going west on 66 at rush hour, there's this corridor of, of you know, fume, uh, exhaust. It just stinks. You go to a... Never mind. <laughs> so I'm protecting my nose, and I'm just as careful now. So somebody gave me these nightshades, because the lights are so bright, bright now. It's really hard driving at night. You notice how bright the lights are now? Who approved that, anyway? <laughs> so I have these things I can flip down and it's supposed to cut the glare. I care about my nose. I care about my e eyes. We don't have the music turned up too loud in our because I have the same care for my ears. That, that seems to be the point. Same care for one another. And so, so we can't, we who look a certain way, think a certain way, speak a certain way in the body of Christ, can't make decisions based on how other people are different than us for how we care for them. You can't do that. One body of Christ. And it's even more beautiful than it looks different in its diversity. Mutual experiences. It would be 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Thank you, Joan Kathy. So, wow. What does it, that verse imply we know? Yeah, where is Nate suffering? Where's Jim rejoicing? Because I want to rejoice with you, brother. I want to rejoice with you. Frankly, before I came to Wallace, I didn't care about the Washington Nationals. I didn't hardly knew they existed. But guess what? I'm rejoicing with you. This is the hometown team. You won the World Series. I watched. I'm delighted with you. Right? I might go to another city and I'm going to bring them a championship because when I was in Philly, the Eagles won! <laughs> it's going to go on my resume. Interim, guaranteed to bring you an applicant. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> mutual voice for worship. Incidentally, I just want to, on mutual experiences, your elders envision that happening in home groups. Right? It's really hard to do in a teaching setting like this because I'm putting a premium on teaching, at least right now. It's even harder to do in a large group setting out in our worship because we're focusing on God. But your elders want this happening at home. This is vital to your Christian life. We need to know where you're suffering. We want to rejoice where you're rejoicing. So it is in these settings, small groups in the right, RUF, large group, small group, that's where it happens, one-on-ones. Okay, so that's, if, you are, if you're a member of the church, you've got to be in a home group, so these kinds of things are happening. Uh, mutual voice for worship. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. That's just breathtaking, isn't it? What Paul writes there. He identifies who God is. The God of endurance. What's God enduring? Us. Slow to get it. Wayward. Stupid. Doing the same things. Sins. Day in and day out. And what does God have for us in the face of that? Encouragement. Grace. Mercies. The blood of Jesus to plead 
every day over our sins. Grant you to live in such harmony with one another that what's the fruit? Worship. One voice glorifying. So there's really something profoundly supernatural, profoundly healing about Christians of different stripes. Here we go. Acting, looking, talking, thinking differently. Worshiping God. And isn't that what's happening in heaven? The nations and all their diversity are glorifying God. As we'll see when we get to the end of the handout. Now, we're getting to, Fabi was mentioned in Philippians 2, I think, a little bit ago. Mutual mindedness for humility. Complete my joy for being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but humility count others more significant than yourselves. So if you ever thought you could do the Christian life, you haven't read this verse. This is just, what? First of all, the first part, same mind, same love, full accord, one mind. Does that take a lot of work? It takes a lot of humility, too. And here's your most helpful definition of humility in the Bible. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Is that hard? I mean, it's impossible. This is where Christianity... Christianity is, is sort of the religion that promises too much and demands too much. So you can't do this without the Holy Spirit. You can't do this without being overwhelmed with grace. And then he goes on and talks about the humility of Christ... For us. I and mean, this is just how. I don't even know what it looks like. You don't know what it looks like? Like being the same mind and the same law and what it looks like. You weren't here when I preached on this verse, Daddy. <laughs> but you know, it, it's like, it blows my mind. Oh, even like thinking. Good. So this is right, we need to talk this through. What's it look like? How do we do this? Start a chat. I, I did, right? I cannot do this even with Chad, who I live with. That's right. It's usually the people we live with that this is hardest with. <laughs> and then get your, get your home group talking about this. It's a good point, Pat, and that is until I'm at peace with God through Christ, I'm going to need something from other people in relationship. I need to control them. I'm going to need them to like me. I'm going to need them to know how confident I am or whatever. 
right? My idols will govern my relationships until I'm at peace with God. I'll, I'll, I'll get what only God can give me. I'll try to get it from other people. So that is the starting point. And that's the joy. I have everything I need in Christ now. I'm at peace. I have joy. I can be focused on you because I don't have to focus on what I need in this relationship. Good. Thank you. Very helpful. Okay, how about um, mutual truth speaking? So, you know, Paul doesn't just say, you guys tell the truth to each other. He says more than that. He annexes the reason why. What's the reason? Well, that's the put off and the put on. The Christian ethic is put off and put on. Put off also in its place, speak the truth. But he gives you a reason. What? You belong to each other. Right? You don't lie to yourself. You don't lie to people that you love. We don't, we love our kids, we don't lie to them deliberately. You might shade it if we need to protect ourselves somehow, but you know, as a rule. It's just profound that he annexes the reason we're members of one another. We owe each other that. Because this is what God has given us in Christ. You must be careful just speaking in law, the truth in law. Because yeah. sometimes people get, I've got to tell the truth, but that's right. That's right. It's how you speak it makes a big, big, big difference. Very good. Marital love, marital, uh, mutual marital love. From Ephesians five twenty eight. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So Paul couldn't appeal to anything more important than for me to love Janice. What's he appeal to, Mike? Look at how. You love yourself. Am I committed to my own welfare? Of course I am. I'm incredibly selfish and self-centered. Right? Sin is being committed to my own welfare on my terms. Glory is knowing I'm a child of God and working for my own welfare on God's terms, as it were, so that I can be a blessing to other people. So I can be a blessing to other people. So, why should I love Janice? Well, I'm loving myself. You think about it that way? So did you get her special sunglasses? Actually, it's a really... <laughs> I didn't buy them. We had a couple visit us from Calvary Willow Grove. They came in a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about how bright headlights were nowadays, and I was itching in front of them with a bee, and all of a sudden in the mail, here's this gift. They sent us a gift. Huh? One, one pair for you. No, they sent us a, a pair. For, so Jan has one, and I have one. So she gets it out of the box, she takes a little cloth and cleans it, she takes my glasses and puts, you can even see, look, can you see the little spray, the little marks on my glasses for the, they clip on, and you can pop them up if you want to, but they have some. <laughs> Is this too much detail about my personal life? <laughs> Rock ass, <laughs> he's mutually.
hugely concerned. Um, we have a couple minutes here. Let's start, let's start into social obligations in view of redemption. The biblical logic is obligations and imperatives rest on reasoning from the greater to the lesser. The greater is what Christ has done for us. Okay, so you're never going to have your right ethics until you start with what Christ has done for you. You're going to run out of good reasons to do it. I mean, if, if, if humanism is true, that the reason I'm supposed to be nice to this person is just in principle they're my fellow man, <coughs> that will evaporate as soon as things begin to break down. I will move into, I will move into self-survival mode. I'll mount up reasons why I don't have to give you that. Humanism ultimately fails. Secular humanism. So, as I received you, so you receive one another. Romans 15, 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Thank you, Shirley. So you're going to see in this section, there's virtually nothing Paul tells us to do in relationship that he doesn't root in the way Christ has treated you. It's all there. It's the, it's, the, it's the principle at the heart of the handout. Solidarity. As I do you, so you to others. As I've loved you, so you love one another. Somebody read those three addresses under this section. As I've loved you, so you love one another. The new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you will <coughs> Thank you, Nate. So that requires you to ask what question? How did he love us? And think about that. So if I really don't know how God has loved me, or even that love is an existential reality in my heart, I'm not going to love very well. I'm just not going to love very well. And last one, as I forgave you, so you forgive others. And somebody read those three for us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Matthew 6.12 Matthew 18.33 And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Ephesians 3.32 Be kind to one another. Turn the heart of forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So not only is it the pattern there as Christ forgave you, but it's an imperative. You must. You must. Okay? We will pick up, probably finish the handout next time. We'll pick up next week with um, As I've Mercifully Loved My Enemies. Okay? Thank you for your attendance. Let's pray. Fathers, we go to worship. Fill us with your spirit that what we do is not simply rote but is worship in spirit and in truth. These are the kind of worshipers you are seeking. Praise you for seeking us and making us worshipers. So far better than simply being converted, becoming worshipers.
In Jesus' name, amen.